Welcome to High Heels in Politics, the podcast where we talk with the leaders of Ohio and beyond. And now, your host, Marianne Christie. Welcome to High Heels in Politics. My conversation is your host, Marianne Christie, with our guest, Nancy Eichels. We will focus on the groundbreaking laws and court decisions over the past 50 years and its impact for women in the business world. Yes, it was only 50 years ago that women did not have the same equal access in education and sports. With the federal legislative passage of Title IX in 1972, it forever changed the future for women. Title IX opened doors and removed barriers for women of all ages and on all levels. The Supreme Court made landmark decisions that altered the rights of women. Just stop to think, such as stopping gender requirements and ads for jobs, gave women the rights to apply for credit. Yes, <laughs> there was a time when women could not get a credit card without a cosigner. Remember, we're talking 1980. Women were given the same meritable property rights as the husband. Stopped harassment in the workplace. The right for the use of contraceptives. The right to serve on a jury. Pregnancy was no longer a right to fire a woman. Gave women the right for a job, even if she had school-aged children. And another interesting right given to women, she could be a reporter. And men got the right for a career as a nurse. You know what? These laws and court decisions provided the opportunity for an overwhelming number of women graduating with degrees in business, law, medicine, engineering, resulting with women for the first time in management positions in corporation and as business owners. Nancy Eichels first worked at Chiquita Banana as a consumer marketing director, and she launched her own business career later. She marketed her specialty cake business called Nan Cakes through a number of avenues, including Nordstrom and Honey Bay Cam. Her work brought her to an organization called Aviatra Accelerators. Nancy is a Cincinnati native, and her life has taken her from wife, mother, business owner, to CEO. And she has volunteered with many groups, such as Stepping Stone, Cincinnati Parks, Junior League, the County Commissioner on Women and Girls, Cincinnati Ballet, to name a few. It was Nancy's charismatic leadership, and she has a tenacious spirit that was recognized with her election to the Indian Hills School Board since 2015. She has served as board president and vice president. Nancy was also invited by the Trump-Pence administration to participate on a panel for the safe reopening of schools during the COVID pandemic. She has a business degree from The Ohio State University and an executive MBA from Northwestern University. 
Today, she serves as the outgoing CEO of Aviatra, whose purpose is to enable women to start and sustain their business by providing the resources and expertise. She has recently purchased a bakery in Cincinnati, Ohio, and rebranded it as That's So Sweet. She will be building out the e-commerce platform for the shipping of high-quality sweet treats and gifts. Nancy, welcome to High Heels and Politics. Let's start out about how federal laws and court decisions affected women to enter the business world. Oh, gosh. First of all, Marianne, thank you so much for having me. And we failed to mention the way we know each other from the She Leads organization, which I've been very dedicated to, and that's your baby. You started it. Right. When we think about how federal laws have impacted women, I like to think of it from a positive perspective. There's still a lot of work to do. But if you think back to 50 years ago, what was happening in this country and really around the world, we're not unique in how women need to be brought along more than they have been. So when you look back at all that's happened over the last 50 years, we are really in a very good place. We're in a place now where people recognize the issues, they're talking about the issues, and they're making real substantive changes to the issues. There was something on the news this morning about the percentage of dollar-for-dollar women and men in the workplace. White women right now are at 73 cents to the dollar, which still we have a lot of work to do, but not that long ago, it was about 50 cents. And then it finally got up to about 60 cents. Our women of color certainly are still lower, but they are higher than they were. So I do, I feel like the laws that have been put in place are being enacted. They're being followed and it gives us a good platform to just keep moving forward. Let's talk about what does that name of your group mean and how does it aim to help Women. The name Aviatra came from a rebranding effort that we did with my branding background. I seem to come into companies and rebrand. We rebranded, and the organization had been serving women for a few years and really getting them to take off with their businesses. And as we did focus groups and we talked to people involved with the organization, we talked to our alums, our clients, and all the words kept being very uplifting take off, soar, hold me up, wind between my wings things like that, that made us think very airy. And then we were looking through photos and getting images, and we came across this wonderful photo of four female pilots from World War II. They were the women who trained the test pilots, and they were in their fighter outfits, <laughs> pilot outfits, walking right towards the camera in a cohort, the four of them, very boldly and very strongly and when we did some research, we found out that those women were only allowed to train the men. They weren't allowed to actually fly. And when they did fly planes, they were the clunkers that people were afraid might not make it because the theory was if one went down, they lost just a woman and not one of their male pilots. So they really had to have each other's backs and hold each other up. And that's where we got the aviation theme for Aviatra. Interesting. What? influences do you have you found that motivate women to start a business and why is it harder for women what i love with helping females launch their business to start their businesses grow their idea is that most women and i'm generalizing of course but most women start a business because they have 
a passion for a problem that needs to be solved, and they have the solution to that problem. So it's very personal for a lot of these women. So I think they have more of a personal drive for the business than necessarily their male counterparts, where our men have been trained to be thinking about the shiny gold object and the making a lot of money quickly and generating income to support a family. So most of the women are doing a side hustle. They're either working full time and doing their side hustle, or they're at home with their children and they are starting a business on the side. Many of them then turn in, that's our job, help them turn into a full-time business that generates revenue, brings income to their families, creates neighborhoods, all the things that a new business in our community would do. So it's very much about small business. So what I see, though, is that women, the primary challenges are that we have so much on our plates and we expect so much of ourselves. We're wives, we're mothers, we're friends, we're sisters, we're taking care of parents, we take care of the pets, we take care of the children, the house, and do our business world. And that's a lot. And it's hard for women to separate all those things, where I think, in general, a man can leave work at work and home at home better than women can. So that's a challenge. The second challenge is that because it has not been that long that women did not need a co-signer for a loan or could even get a loan at all, lending in our country for women and particularly women of color and particularly women who are not highly collateralized is very difficult. You need three years of financial statements in order for a bank to talk to you about a loan for the most part. And so when you're starting, you can't wait three years to infuse capital into your business. So I find that to be the most challenging aspect of a female starting a business. What does your group do to help women to, let's say, start a business and then funding? Funding is the key thing. It is key. In order to be funded, there's a few things you need. You need to know what you're doing. So we start with education and we really help a woman from soup to nuts on everything that she will need to build a business plan, to build a solid foundation for her business. We coach her, we mentor her, and we make sure that early on she is introduced and networked with all different kinds of funders. Because now the improvement I've seen over the last, I've been with AVH almost eight years. The big improvement I've seen since eight years ago is not that women are necessarily accessing capital more frequently or at higher levels than they were, which is discouraging. But on the other hand, there's so many different types of funding available now that were not available six or eight years ago. We're not just seeing traditional lending. We're seeing lots of creative lending. We're seeing more grants. We're seeing more micro lending. But what's really critical and what we do for our women is you have got to network And you have to build the relationships with those lenders, those angel funders, those private investors, whoever you'll need. You have to build those relationships long before you ever ask for the money. How do you build a relationship? It's easy to say, just build a relationship. How do you do that? That's a great question, Marianne. Women are great networkers. Think about it. If we just take what we naturally do and use those gifts and talents to connect with other people, that's networking. And networking is a two-way street. If I do something for you, you want to do naturally want to do something back to help me. And then 
you introduce me to someone and I like to help that person and they want to help me back. And so all of a sudden it's that friend thing. And with networking with bankers, lenders, angels, it's really more intentional. We have to help them set up appointments. We have to get them in the same place at the same time. We have to be sure that these lenders are seeing their business as a quality business that has a good future. And our organization has had such success over the last 12 years that if a woman comes through AVH Accelerators, she has an 80% higher chance of launching and staying in business than someone who doesn't get that kind of education and training. So when someone is an AVHRA and we introduce them to a lender, the lenders that we know or the funders take notice because they know that we are going to send them a woman who's committed, a woman who has gotten some good education, and a woman who has a propensity to success. Do you mentor these businesses along the way? We sure do. And we also are very connected to the SCORE organization, which is, I never remember exactly what that acronym is, is, but it's retired executives, basically, that we connect our women with, and they have a long-term relationship with that mentor. But I personally mentor a lot of women. Once you come to AVHRA and you get your education, you're not gone. You're part of our community. And I have women reaching out all the time. And sometimes it's they really need some ongoing support. Sometimes it's just they have a crisis and they need help. And this is where networking really comes in handy. I just recently had one of my favorite clients, they're all favorites, but a really favorite, (laughs) had an issue with, with one of the health departments about it was certification wasn't her fault, but I was able to reach out to some of the people in politics that you and I know yeah. and get cut through some of the some of the red tape and help her out because it was a situation where if we didn't get her help, it was going to ruin her business. And talking about the the issue of red tape, you've got all kinds of problems: the burden of taxes and fees, and you just talked about licensure regulations. Is there anything Petra does to lobby the state legislature to change? So we have not done that actively yet, but you mentioned that I am the outgoing CEO of AVHA. I plan to stay engaged in the mission. And as I move forward in my career, one of the things I would really like to do is work at probably a federal level on some of the legislation that impacts small businesses in general, because the issues that women are facing are no, for small businesses and getting businesses started are no different than what men are facing. It's just in general, men can access funding a little bit better than we can. But yes, at the state level, even some local things that could change, all those things are that you mentioned impact the success of a business. But what we do is we make sure that from day one, These women are set up correctly. We make sure that all their filings with the state are accurate and correct. We give them good legal guidance through reputable attorneys that volunteer their time. So we be sure that they have all their ducks in a row in the first place so that when they do encounter an issue, they don't have to go back and fix something that they did wrong. They can just deal with the system. And there's always a problem. We talk about state and federal, but there's always maneuvering through navigating municipal regulation and taxes. How do you help these women in their new business world? We spend a lot of time on their financials so that they really understand what all of the financial risks are and where all the expenses are, taxes, 
sales tax, all the things that they need to account for in their budgeting so that, again, they have fewer surprises down the road. And when they do, they can go back to their financial plan and look at it and figure out, okay, if I, this, the taxes were just increased, that's going to cost me X more. Where can I get that in my financials? What do I need to cut back on? What do I need to do differently? Yeah, I would think that for many people, they don't understand all the regulations and taxes that they're going to face once they start a business. And what do you find for issues there? I think as far as regulations, it's really industry specific for the most part. So we encourage and expect our female founders to be experts in their industries. You can't go into the food industry if you don't know a lot of background information on the food industry and what might be what certifications you have to have and what are the what are the liabilities what are the things that could happen if someone is in some kind of a medical device industry they have got to know all of the legislation around that all the rules all the things that they could potentially run into so we do expect that our women become experts in their industries yeah. well we've talked about women going into their own business but there's also women who try to get into corporations and to move up that ladder to the executive level. And I was reading someplace, and it says, studies point out that soft skills and emotional intelligence are key to competitive advantage for women and major corporations. What does soft skills and emotional intelligence mean? What's ironic about that, Marianne, is that's exactly what we're good at. We're already naturally good at the soft skills. We're good communicators. We're good at picking up the emotions in a room. And so for someone out there to say that's what's holding us back, that we're not at that level where we need to be is crazy. I think there are more issues in corporate America and women advancing than there are in someone starting their own business. It's a challenge and you don't have the security in a small business but the sky's the limit when you start your own business. When you are in a corp, and I've been there, I've been in the corporate environment that was very male dominated and I have nothing but positive things to say about my experience, treated me with the utmost respect, but I did not see a lot of upward mobility for myself. And there were a few women that had moved along, but we have a lot of things going on because so few women really are still making the C-suite when someone does, they're so busy as a woman trying to maintain that that level of status, they don't have time necessarily to reach back and help the rest of us. Not that they don't desire to or they don't want to. It's tough when you get up there. So I'm still very disappointed at how few women are on boards, how few women are in the C-suite. And I know we have this billionaires club now of women, Sarah Blakely and Tori Birch, people like that, but that's such a tiny little percentage of the wealth that's out there. Currently still, most of the extreme wealth for women has been either through divorce or inheritance. We have very few of the Sarah Blakeleys yeah. out there. And you know what? There are politics in every corporation. It isn't just in the political arena. Let's be honest, to try to move up, whether you're in the field of medicine or law or engineering, trying to get to be a partner in a law firm is not an easy task. Do you see any f 
a future of what could change to make women have access to a the higher positions. Marianne, if I had that answer, I'd be one of, I'd be in that billionaire's club, right? <laughs> I think we just have to keep moving forward. We can't go backwards. We do have to embrace the fact that we're still a young country. We are still what a, just a little over a hundred years ago, we were allowed to vote. That's not very long in the big picture of history. So I think that we are moving along as we probably should in time, but We clearly have work to do. I think a big thing that women could be doing in the workplace is making sure that they have really good mentors, probably men, also women, but it's always good to have a man that is a higher level than you advocating for you. Got to have advocates and just we've got to do the work. We may have to work a little harder and a little smarter. I think another thing that's a challenge, like you mentioned, becoming a partner in a law firm or a accounting firm or wherever, you have to buy in. And women are risk averse when it comes to finances. And many times, even still in their marriages, they don't necessarily feel like they're in the driver's seat on that. And they feel insecure about taking that kind of a risk with their family's resources. You had success with your Nan Cakes business, and that's been several, quite a few years ago. What problems did you face and how did you overcome them? Back then, it was only 2010, but it was between 2010 and 2014. But there were not a lot of women starting small businesses then that were being talked about. I think there were a lot happening, but not so much the consumer facing. There really was not a lot of discussion about the education aspect of starting a new business. There was not a lot of talk about access to funding. And even though I was in a situation where I was blessed to be highly collateralized and I should have been easily funded, it was a quagmire. Really, SBA was the only way I could go because I didn't have three years of financials for the business. I could self-fund, but again, risk averse, I didn't feel like that was a good idea. And getting through the SBA lending process back then was really rigorous. And again, I didn't have the three years of financials that you really need. I know. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. Women just don't understand. You couldn't get a loan. And this is the 1980s. And you couldn't even get a credit card without a co-signer. I interviewed the woman who was the county treasurer in the 1980s. And when she went to the bank in this small county, they would not give her a credit card without her husband co-signing. And she was the county treasurer. You're leaving as the CEO. What are your future plans? Being at a nonprofit for eight years is a long time. (laughs) And I felt like it just needed, AVH is such a great organization. I just felt like it needed a refresh and it needed fresh new eyes. And so I will still stay very engaged in this mission of furthering the well-being of women in general, not just in business, but in many ways. We, we know that in a community or a society that upholds their women and their girls and nurtures and cares for them, that everyone else does. It's not just about women. And this is not a women versus men thing. This is let's just take care of our people. And the women are the ones raising the children for the most part. The girls that are being raised now still need a lot of support to feel like equals wherever they go, whether it's on the playing field or it's in the corporate world or 
wherever they go, we need to be taking care of our boys too. We need to be teaching our boys how to treat the women in their lives and how to be collaborators with them versus them and us. So I think we have a lot of work to do there and I want to stay very engaged in that mission. But I can't get out of the entrepreneurial world. <laughs> I know this that. <laughs> it is in my blood. And I recently purchased a local bakery that had started about the same time that I had started Nancakes. It was a cookie shop and a well-known brand here in the region. I've merged the cookies with my cakes and we're rebranding the whole organization to be called That's So Sweet. And we'll be shipping sweet treats and gifts around the country. And where that name came from was actually a young woman that works for me. We were going through the branding process and just couldn't, we knew that the name had to have sweet in it somewhere, but we just couldn't quite come up with it. We're going to be shipping gifts and the whole thing about gift giving. If I gave you something nice, one of the first things you might say is, oh, that's so sweet. And one morning, Christy just said, I just had this God moment and I think, what do you think of the name? That's so sweet. And it literally gave me chills. I'm like, that is the name. That's what it has to be. You will see That's So Sweet treats being shipped all over the country in the next couple of years. And my goal is to scale this business and sell it in four or five years and buy my beach. Now, when you say you're starting the business, how can people find you? Is Can they go on the internet and order anything today? Yes, they can. That's so sweet.com. We will have holiday gifts ready and on the internet, on the website very quickly. And then we will be shipping for the holidays this year and then ongoing from here on out, Valentine's, Easter, all the other holidays. What kind of gifts are you talking about? Uh, We're talking about the best cookie, yummy brownies and bars. And then over time, we'll add a few other things into our gifts, little local things or holiday specific things, but mostly it'll be sweet treats. That sounds interesting. Nancy, you also have been involved in the county Republican Party and you're where or are the finance chairman and you played a key role in women's organization. You even ran for county auditor a few years ago. Is there any potential political office in your future? Never say never, Marianne. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Before we leave, tell us about your family life. Your husband's a physician and you have three children. Your twin sons were outstanding Indian Hill football players. And what are they and your daughter doing today? They still keep me busy. My husband is still a very busy obstetrician gynecologist here in the area. Still solo practice, so it's crazy. Hours are nuts. My daughter is living in Austin. She's an engineer for Deloitte and on the fast track there. Very proud of her. She's living what company was that? Deloitte. Oh, Deloitte. She's on the consulting uh, digital side of okay, Deloitte. Finances. Right. No, she's on the digital side of Deloitte. So she's okay. on the consulting. She basically does research and then builds apps and websites. She's a girl that can code. So very proud of wow. her. Very proud of her. Playing tennis, having a great time. The twin boys are one got married in June. Married a beautiful young wife, Olivia. And then our other twin is getting married in January. He has an equally beautiful fiance, Allison. So I feel blessed that now I have five children. I have my three and my two daughters-in-law. Oh, so, well, that's right. <laughs> and so we have two, three living in Texas and two living in the Washington, D.C. area. So I think a little bit of travel is in our future, keeping up with everyone. 
but no, still busy, happy family. And everyone, thank God, is doing well. And we've been very blessed. I wish you the best in this whole new anti-sweet business. I want to thank you for your key roles over the years, helping women starting and providing ways for their success. You stress how important benefit it is for women to support one another, to share their knowledge from about their successes and their mistakes. That has made, helped make major changes and opportunities for women. So I want to thank you. Thank you for having me on, Marianne. And I look at this as it's not a scarcity model. We all have to help each other. And if I do well, you should do well also. And then we'll all do well. Thank you. High Heels and Politics is produced by Marianne Christie and Ryan Kulik. Engineered by Ryan Kulik. Music by Sherrod Sate. Subscribe to High Heels and Politics on Google, Apple, Spotify, and all of your podcast networks.